So I, I, I took the, uh, are we recording yet? Okay. Thanks. I, uh, I, I took this week and really, really prayed about the message, not necessarily more than I normally do, but maybe in a different way than I normally do. Um, it is a message that I think is more for the believer. I'll just be very transparent. More for the believer. Um, for the developing minister, and the, by that I don't mean the person that gets a, a, a backward collar minister or the pastor. I just mean anyone who is going to minister. This was a very interesting message in light of camp for me personally. I'll get to the details on that in a, in a few minutes. But this is a very clear passage that could have gone many different directions. It's the passage where Moses sees the burning bush, right? There's lots of ways uh, I could have gone with this passage. I do believe that the Lord directed me this specific, um, this specific direction. So <clears throat> as we look at Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, we're going to talk about victory in the encounter, the encounter with God, okay? The encounter with God. So notice in Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1, Now Moses kept the flock of, uh, the, of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Oreb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame, a fire in the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. So this is our first kind of section, the situation, right? We've talked about before the situation. Excuse me. So we're going to talk about the growth of the minister, the growth of the minister. So growth is your first fill in the blank. The growth of the minister. So Moses has an incredible resume at this point, right? Whatever it was being in the palace, being raised in the royal family, created a pretty good resume. I'm sure there was a, a song, there, there's a song, uh, a Coldplay song, I can't remember the, uh, the name of it, it was very, very popular, where the, the premise of the song is that, that he used to be king, does anybody know, or, or whatever, and now he's just like a street sweeper. Uh, you know, no, no, it's not, I'm not communicating. Uh, no, he uh, said, uh, yes, what is it? Vida, La Vida, or something like that. So he says at one point, I now sweep the streets I used to own. Right? So that's a very, a very poignant phrase in that song because his point is, I now am serving that which I used to have control over. And Moses went from being this man of some importance to now he's just watching sheep. Just watching sheep on the backside of the desert. So he kept the flock. Notice, this is the same, there's, there's going to be a pattern here. This is the same flock. Now obviously sheep die over time, right? But in general, it's the same flock that he watered. I can't help but think at some point, right when he first met 
the daughters of the priests of Midian, one of which ends up being his wife, the day when the bad shepherd cowboys came to town, right? I've been practicing that off and on all week. Chink, 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 chink. So, right, right. So those same sheep that he took care of, I mean, one of the ladies ends up being his wife, but those same sheep he's taking care of now, he had watered, but now he's keeping and he's leading that flock. We cannot miss the practical application to the minister at any point, any level in the church. You, at some point, start watering sheep then at some point later, you get the opportunity to keep and lead those sheep. And, it, and you don't have to have reverend in front of your name or a title of pastor or title of leader in particular. You don't have to be an elder. There are people right now in Kidtown ministering, leading sheep. There are folks who go to the prison ministry. There are folks that are disciple one-on-one -on -one who started out watering sheep, but now they're leading sheep or leading a flock. And it's interesting because they were never his sheep. To this point in scripture, he doesn't take ownership. <clears throat> he just gets the, the wonderful privilege of investing in those sheep. They're not even his. Now you could argue that someday some of those sheep will be his because of the familial relationship. One day the priest of Midian is going to die and his inheritance is going to be split and Moses and his wife are going to take and get some of those sheep, maybe, but he doesn't necessarily know which ones. Maybe he doesn't end up with the, with the, the flock at all. I mean, you could make an argument that based on what God does in his life, he leaves those those sheep, and he goes on to a completely different ministry, right? Because he's going to lead the nation of Israel out of captivity. So I think there's some some lessons here uh, about about this parallel. So so we're going to break up again for a few minutes. Try to do it in your uh, you know fairly close, but there's lessons. So I want you to read the following verses, all out of First Samuel 17, 13 through 15, 28, 43. Uh, 34 through 37. No secret here. This is the story of David who also did the same thing. He took care of his father's sheep. But I want to understand what lessons you all glean from what David learned that prepared him for the battle with Goliath. Okay? So go ahead and break up. Break up into small groups or maybe couples or turn around or grab the person next to you and go through this real quick. There's a small section I left kind of blank. I know it's not super big on your, on your paper so you can jot down some ideas. And then in just a minute, we're going to come back, or a few minutes, we'll come back and we'll talk about this. Okay? So break up. We can...
Hey, just just a few more minutes. Just a few more minutes. Okay, let's go ahead and wrap up. If you're not done, that's okay. We'll do it together. Were you already just raising your hand because you were excited? All right. All right, go ahead and bring it back. Bring it back. If you didn't get done, we'll, we'll kind of finish as a group. It's all good. Just wanted to facilitate the discussion. So 1 Samuel 17, 13 through 15. And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. And the name of his three sons that went to the battle were Eliab, uh, the firstborn, and the next uh, Abinadab, and the third uh, Shammah. And David was the youngest, and the, and the three eldest followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed the, uh, his father's uh, sheep at Bethlehem. Any thoughts on things that jumped out on this passage? Okay, so David, you said Saul, but you, I think you meant David. Yeah, David like kind of looked up to his older brothers. His older brothers were probably, you know, men. Uh, there's some, some we'll see in the other passage, there's some attraction, odd attraction to war, uh, especially with boys. There's, uh, you know, they don't realize the, the, the depths of war maybe sometimes. So there's maybe some attraction to the, the earthly battle there initially. Uh, for David, but he has to he has to grow through that. Okay, 
So that's a, that's a good thing. Yeah. Right. Um, I like how David knew to return back and focus on the things that he should be it's yeah. like, I like that. It reminds me of my youngest. Like, I can say something, but he knows, like, Right. There was a responsibility that laid back in the, with the with the sheep, and David was at least mindful enough to know that he needed to tend to that. He was growing. He was maturing enough to realize he had a responsibility. Uh, it's kind of like that. The the uh, the. Um, the parable when Jesus talks about the two sons, the one that says, I'll go, but doesn't go and serve his father, and the one that says he won't go, but then ultimately does, you know, go repent and, and go, go serve like he, like he said, he, you know, like what, the expectation, the responsibility. Good. Other thoughts out of this passage before we go to the next one? Okay. Yeah, go ahead. When it, like God like wants to kill the bear and the lion, since like you know he, he like like they attacked the sheep. Right. I mean, but he let like David do it. Right. So. So hang on to that thought. We're going to get to that one in the last passage, but you're you're very much onto something. Very much onto something. Okay. Right, anything else out of this first one? I don't want to rush it, but I okay. The second one, seventeen twenty-eight. Uh, and Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why comest thou down hither? Uh, with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. So what, what could we learn from this passage, from this verse? God, God, in this particular case, that the devil will use sometimes even your family, own family members, you know, friends. In the case of Job, I mean, you could go sure. on to discourage, to you know, misalign whatever's really going on. Yes, sometimes the attacks come from very people that are, that are close to you, and then we've already seen he may up, right. This, I do think, may have been a little bit of a turning point in David's life that now he's, he's seeing how his brothers view him. I mean, I'm sure there was always the brotherly, you know, stuff that goes on in families, but now it's, like, more real, it seems like, that David's just get out of here, kid. You know, they're like, get out of here, kid. Yeah. Also, how could he use his brothers to say, hey, you need to go back and to those sheep? And he used it in such a way that I knew you're, I know they cried and they Sure. So there's, there's. It's, it's interesting because there's a real balance between what Shane said and what you said. Sometimes it's an attack. Sometimes it's a wake-up call that hey, maybe my, my, maybe my motives aren't right. Maybe I'm here out of my own flesh, and I do have this responsibility uh, back there. That requires discernment. <laughs> And sometimes discernment is given to you by the Holy Spirit, then you know sometimes you need to bounce that off of somebody else. Like, what is actually going, is this an attack or an opportunity? Like, I don't know if you've ever lived that in your life, but sometimes, you know, a, a job opportunity will come up, 
and you're like, should I take it? It seems like an opportunity, but maybe things are good here in this job that I'm currently in, and maybe Satan's trying to dangle a carrot that would actually take me out of ministry or, or something, right? Sometimes it's hard to determine between an opportunity and an obstacle. Yeah. Okay. Anything else on this one before we go? Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Sometimes the best lessons are learned by yourself. I'm actually going to dip from that well uh, here in a few minutes when I talk about my talk about my own journey, uh, kind of through through the Exodus three passage context. So, anything else on this before? Yes, Teresa. This made me think of First Samuel sixteen seven, where we are not ignored. Uh, the, the don't look upon his That's good. That's good. Okay, so we'll look at this last one, uh, 34 through 37. Um, and David said unto Saul, Thy servant uh, kept his father's sheep, just like Moses, uh, father-in-law. Uh, and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord hath delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, and he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And uh, Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with me. So Tatiana was touching on this, right, that God could have taken out the bear, the lion, could have absolutely wiped that out, but he allowed David the opportunity to participate in that battle. I'm sure he had either supernatural protection, maybe even arguably supernatural strength, uh, supernatural discernment. Uh, maybe there was something that, you know, the, maybe the bear slips at just the right time. I don't know. We, we weren't there. But David clearly gives glory to God that God was part of that battle. He didn't fight him alone, right? Any other thoughts based on, on this passage? Yeah. So I, got to, uh, I thought about how somebody who is lowly and you know, small and may not think they fit in anywhere because they are tending sheep, that God had, you know, uses every opportunity and every experience in our lives so that we can be moved to go to a in a direction he plans, like, say, uh, divorce, you know, well, God may not choose one or two later, and he may have wanted you to find him, and, and it was through that divorce and I found God, so, sure. so, I mean, stuff like that, where we think the situation isn't good, or I'm just a lonely kid, I never, you know, nobody likes me, but yet God and, and not just teach, but in this case, 
the kid that was kind of relegated to just watching sheep, he becomes the, the strongest man on the battlefield, both from his faith and courage, but also as he fights Goliath. Now, this is not ultimately a passage or a message today on 1 Samuel 17, but you all have hit on it greatly, and so I really, really appreciate it because these, this principle that the lessons are learned, the lessons of the minister are learned in simple, humble experience. And they build on each other, they grow on each other, and eventually you get to the point where you're standing against a Goliath. That does not happen overnight. We want it to, which is kind of what happens with David's older brothers. They're going to go fight, but they don't have that experience. They don't have the, the experience of fighting a bear, fighting a lion, and as a result, they're shivering in their shoes when, the, when Goliath steps onto the, onto the field, right? So David has surpassed them. This brings us to our first victory principle out of Exodus, pivotal encounters with God. Hold that thought for just a second. Pivotal encounters with God flow from ministry. Moses gets the burning bush experience because he is tending sheep. He's not just walking down the street and sees a burning bush. He's tending sheep that are not his, but he has responsibility for. I hope I don't have to paint it any clearer. You will get encounters with God. I hope nothing catches fire. But you will have encounters with God. And, uh, and if it does catch on fire, I hope it's not consumed. Um, you will have encounters with God as you minister. As you prepare for ministry, as you walk along somebody at camp, as you have an interaction after a, after a message, you know, as you share in testimony, as you talk about 1 Samuel 17 in this room. Encounters with God happen and they flow from ministry. Now you say, wait a second, Saul's, Saul's encounter with God didn't flow from ministry unless you're calling killing and imprisoning Christians ministry. The salvation encounter with God does not flow with, from ministry because you don't have a relationship with God. But once you have that salvation encounter with God where you understand your need for a Savior, you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, encounters with God flow from ministry. Sometimes it's personal ministry in the Word. Sometimes it's ministry with others. Did you have a question or a point that you wanted to make? Did, it, did I make you forget it? I'm sorry. Yeah, I was just saying, um, so God used David. Um, why did he use him? Well, God used David to show this little, to show not just David, but to show both the children of Israel and the Philistines that the humble... The simple is what he wants to use to get his glory. He doesn't use the mightiest man of valor, the biggest guy with the biggest amount of armor. He uses the one that has faith in him. And that's ultimately what we're seeing with Moses as well, is Moses is developing and growing in his faith with, with the Lord. So, we, so we're going to transition to the struggle. The struggle here is in 4 through 6. And when, the Lord's, uh, when, uh, uh, and when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see. So, so literally God's kind of outside of this, forgive the term, but outside of the picture, he's recording it that way. 
that he sees Moses turn to the burning bush, God called him unto him out of the midst of the burning bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh thither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Please remember that. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. So the struggle here, it's interesting. I, I, did, I do believe this fits under a struggle because this is uncomfortable for Moses. Moses could have withdrawn himself from this, this encounter with God. People do that. There are times when God wants to do a work in our lives and we're scared. We pull away from the encounter. Moses is enthralled. Moses is actually attracted to this encounter, but he needed to do something. First, he needed to turn, that's your blank, to change the course he was on. He was tending the sheep. He was walking down the path and over here, this, fire, uh, this, this bush that catched on fire and he turns. Notice in these verses that are just the references I think are on your handout, <clears throat> the, the context in these verses is not as important as the principle. Ye shall observe to do therefore as the Lord your God commanded you. Ye shall not turn aside to the right hand or the left. Now, Moses did turn aside in this case, but my point is turning aside means you're changing course. Moses was going a direction and God was refining what he was doing in his life and caused him to turn. There are certain things we should turn to and there are certain things we should stay in our lane. We need to stay in our lane when it comes to obeying the, the commandments of the Lord. For they will turn away thy son from following me that they may serve other gods. So there can be a pulling concept for other people to turn sons away. And train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old he will not depart or turn from it. It's the same Hebrew word, right? So this is not just the kind of glancing over and seeing it. This is a change in direction. When you have an encounter with God, it's going to require a change. Now, again, I don't tend to like to lead with that in my salvation, evangelistic sharing of the gospel because that intimidates people. I've actually had people say, I would rather spend eternity in hell with my friends than to become a Christian, whatever that means, whatever that they think that looks like. It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, but they, in their mind, it makes sense. So I don't necessarily call people to a change. I just call, hey, do you, are you a sinner? Yeah, almost everybody's like, yes that a holy God d demands righteousness, how are you going to get in front of a holy God in your current state? Well, you need a substitution, etc. The change, the turn, the conversion, if you will, will naturally flow from that. Absolutely convinced of that. But when it comes to an, a, a saved individual, which Moses now pictures in this text, it's more about turning aside from our own plans to his to what he's doing. The next thing we see is that Moses responds. He responds by saying three simple words in English, here am I. Okay? Like, present. Right? I'm here. Now we see that in Abraham to Isaac. We see that in Abraham to the Lord. We see that Esau to Isaac, Jacob to God, Samuel to the Lord, and 
say it to the Lord. This concept of saying, here am I, is a pattern in Scripture. We don't have time to delve into the depths of it, but you need to respond. When the Lord says, I am I want you to do this. I want you to partake in this. I think you should be involved in fill in the ministry, the AV ministry. I think you should sit in the back and press the down arrow every time it's it's that because that's how difficult the PowerPoint ministry is. Every time Sam's ready for his next thing, because we have trouble getting people that can pay attention and press the down arrow. And I'm not I'm not minimizing the people that do it. But they move on to other ministries, and then there's a gap. And for some reason, people think that's a really hard ministry. Like, you just pay attention, and you press the down arrow. Like, you can do this. I'm sure of it. Everybody hold up your finger. You can do this. Like, right, well, Chris can't, because he was confused. But, (laughs) here am I, Lord, use me, right? The The next thing is to consecrate. To consecrate. So God says to to Moses to take off your shoes. The place you're on is holy ground. We see that also in uh, Joshua 15. The captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place where uh, where on thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. We also see in the New Testament that there's things we do need to put off in our lives. Right? Ephesians 4.2 Put ye off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt. Lie not one to another, according to Colossians 3, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. There are times that the encounter with God requires you to stop doing X or to leave behind Y. Sometimes that has people's names associated with it. Relationships, careers, goals, aspirations convenience that is a a form of consecration to what the Lord is asking you to do Moses is watching the sheep he turns he responds he consecrates himself by minimizing his his own agenda and then ultimately it says he has fear fear thy God for I am the Lord the fear of the Lord is clean teach me thy way O Lord I will walk in thy truth Unite my heart to fear thy name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is a healthy place to be. This is not a scary place to be. This is not a bad Stranger Things episode where the guy is going to eat your face or whatever he does. It's not that kind of fear. It's a fear of reverence of the Almighty One who holds your very molecules together. It's a healthy, healthy fear. It brings us to our second victory principle today. Honor the encounter with the Lord. Give it what it is due. Turn aside. Right? i got to go back to my... Respond, consecrate, and fear. That is healthy. When God calls you to the, uh, to the altar, when he convicts you about something and Sam or Pastor says, you need to, if, you need, if you need to come up and pray about something, and, and you do, go. Honor that interaction with the Lord. Honor that encounter. Get up, or you're probably already standing. It's probably going to be as awkward as saying, excuse me, can I get out? And then the other person goes like this or leans back and then you walk out and then you walk forward like, I don't know, 15, 20 steps and somebody who loves you meets you there and prays with you. 
Like, it's really awkward. <laughs> Honor it. Honor it. This brings us to our victory. You all are not listening nearly fast enough. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, uh, for I know their sorrows, and I'm come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of the land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the, Can place of the Canaanites and Hittites and Amorites and Perizzites and Hivites and all Jebusites and other sites. I don't know. Now, that's why you, when they say we're going to take a trip to the Holy Land and see all the sites, that's what they mean, right? We're going to see all the Hittites and the Canaanites. No. Um, now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. So, <clears throat> the victory is actually very, very simple. God says he's seen, he's heard, he knows, he's come down, and he will bring them up. I had to put some words in brackets because of the, the syntax. Those are my letters. But those are all Israel-focused, the children of Israel-focused. There's only one thing that God says, and it kind of seems a little repetitive. It's actually the last sentence. I have also seen the Egyptian, the oppression of the Egyptians, I think is how it says it. The Egyptian oppression. There's only one thing that's Egypt-focused. When you find yourself in a weird situation, when there's per, uh, persecution, when there's oppression against you, don't focus on the oppression. Focus on the deliverance because that's what God does. So when you're in a situation, he doesn't say, well, you need to get your, get your car fixed, you need to to, to catch up on your, your electric bill. You need to make sure your kids aren't being bad. You need to, like, he doesn't, he doesn't do that. He doesn't say, I'm going to knock out Pharaoh. I'm going to take you through the plagues. I'm going to bring a Passover curse situation and kill a bunch of people. I'm going to lead you right to the edge of the water where you think you're going to die, but I'm going to deliver you. And then I'm going to take you in the wilderness. You're going, no, he's like, I'm just going to deliver you. Like, let's not focus on the myriad problems. Let's focus on the God that can provide the solutions. That's how you get victory. Stop focusing on the problems. So victory principle three. The redemption of the Lord is more focused on you than the circumstances. God doesn't spend much time talking about the types of sin that you commit. He spends time talking about the Savior that overcomes those. He doesn't list out every disease known to man. He just says, I can make you whole. He doesn't list every social weirdness, anxiety, depression, mental health issue. He just says, I can, I can give you a right mind. Don't focus on the negative Focus on the deliverer. That's what he did. <clears throat> so I'm going to ask you a, a, a quick question. This is not meant to be a curveball, but I do want you to answer. What do these events have in common? Moses, these are actual photographs from when this happened. <laughs> Moses at the burning bush. Moses, when he tells the people, and the verse I think is on your on there, 
the Lord, God, uh, the Lord our God spake unto us and, and saying, ye have dwelt long enough in this mount, turn you and take your journey and go. Like, you've been out in the wilderness too long, you need to move on, right? So that's the second one. The golden calf situation also when he puts the tablets in the ark, so that happened all together, uh, but when he smites the rock and water flows from it, and then this is Elijah. He's, he's the odd man out here. Elijah, when he's in the cave and he sees the earthquake and the wind and the fire and God wasn't in, in, in any of that, he was in his, it was a still small voice. Remember those passages? What do these things have in common? The law in the Bible. That is accurate. Yes. Um, I mean, everyone looks like they're raising their hand. Well, that's true. There's a lot of hand raising when it comes to God. That's fair. I can't argue with that. God is there in each one of those. Uh, that is true. I'm looking for something a little more specific. Yes. Everybody's up high. Everybody's up high. Yeah. You're getting. You're. You're getting to something. You're getting to something. Well, yeah, but yeah. I love it. I was a little worried when I came to this realization week because I thought maybe I was the only one that didn't know this and sometimes as a teacher I freak out about that when I think I'm going to get up and tell something that I think is really cool and people are like duh we knew that all of these things happen in the exact same place Mount Horeb that's your fill in the blank Mount Horeb all of these Behold, I will stand thee before, uh, upon the rock in Horeb, that thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it. And the Lord God spake to us in Horeb, saying, You have dwelt long enough in this mount. Take your journey. And they made a calf in Horeb and worshipped the golden image. And there was nothing in the ark save the two tables of stone which Moses put there at Horeb. And then uh, and this, uh, it's in the passage, but you just have to trust me. It's in verse 8 of that passage, Mount Horeb. What's the ministry? Okay, it's wonderful that all these things happen in the same place. What's the practical application? Go where God is. Every, well, go where God is, but every time something significant happens... No, let me, let me start my sentence over. At certain significant points in Moses' ministry, he's in the same exact place where he had his first real encounter with God. When he's going up to get the, 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 the tables and he has to come back and put them in the, in the ark and he sees the calf that's been burnt, uh, that's been made, the brazen uh, calf, and he's so disappointed. I don't, know how, I don't know if he was in the exact same square footage. I, probably not. It's probably on the mount. But he probably walked the same path where he saw just over there is where I first encountered God. It becomes a memorial. It becomes a place of remembrance. I, this is going to sound a little hokey, and I apologize, but UCM, the campus where we have camp, is one of those places in my life. It's one of the places. Every time I go there, I get a touch emotional because of some things that God did. When I was 17 years old, I went to a camp, a boys' state. It was kind of... it was. Like, I'm not sure I would recommend it. But Boys State, and I was trying to grow in my walk. I had not been saved that long. I'd been saved months. <clears throat> and I'm sorry if I've told you this story, but you're just going to have to listen again if I have. In the same Hendricks Hall, where we've had camp the last few years, 
I would, I, I would, we, every night we went in there. And, and just forgive me, this is, I'm just going to be as, as reasonably transparent as I can. S- several hundred 17-year-old boys, because it was, it was all boys. Did you go to boys' stage? One of the guys comes out on stage, and I kid you not, opens up a centerfold. A centerfold, pornography, on that stage, in front of seven... Or in, hundred, in front of hundreds of 17-year-old boys, of which I'm one of them. I was, I was mortified. They were trying to prove a point. The next day, I might have my order of events slightly out of order, but within a short period of time, hours, I'm in that exact same room again. And they're doing this, a, uh, a skit in which a guy comes out with his arm in a sling, and he's got a patch over his eye, and he's limping. And they literally mock the passage where Jesus says it's better to go into heaven without an eye missing your right hand. I probably had it in a shirt or something. And they're mocking Jesus. They're mocking my Savior on that very stage. I wrote a letter to the leader, the guy who did that, the guy that was over it, and delivered it to him. How not all 17-year-old boys are interested in seeing pornography. Or maybe there's interest, but they try not to. <laughs> not all people think it's funny to mock their Savior. In the same room where we eat every breakfast, lunch, and dinner, in front of those same hundreds of boys, on a bullhorn, he gets up and he reads my letter. You know, on a like a microphone. He didn't. Uh, he didn't say my name. Unfortunately, I'm very glad about. I could have. Sh- I, I could. I could take you to probably within five square feet of where I was sitting when that happened. And he said, "If you've got a problem with with the way we handle things, then you can you know deal with it through the courts or whatever." I was mortified. Two nights later, the last night of boys camp, I had shared that I wrote the letter with one other Christian. And I think through the leading of the Holy Spirit, he shared it with a few other guys that he trusted. The last night, I'm pretty sure it's the room that has the, the plane, the, the kind of, it's like a blue sky with the plane painted on it. It's like a, one of those common areas. We met... And there were a couple of dozen of us in that room and probably at least 10 boys broke down because they realized their relationship with Christ wasn't what it needed to be. And they were ecstatic that this one kid who they didn't, some of them knew, some of them didn't, stood up for their belief. I still walk through Ellis Hall and get choked up by myself, probably... If I'm walking with you, I probably won't because we'll be having a conversation. But God did an amazing work in my life. And I don't, I don't wear it as a sense of pride. You've, most of you have probably never heard this story. Has anybody heard this story? Okay. Because I don't like wear it as a badge of pride. But God convicted me to stand up for my faith. And now, every year, 
I get to go back to that same place and see the gospel preached. I get to see men that I respect, men that I love, proclaim the word of God from the same very stage. Devotions happen in the same very rooms. I'm like, I'm not going to claim the victory, but dang, I got the victory. You will have, if you allow him, you will have a burning bush moment, but later will come where there's a trial. There's, it's toughness. You're going to have to lean into it. You're going to have to choose. But later will come water flowing from a rock. Later will come this amazing encounter with Elijah. Later will come this charge to go ahead and possess the land. Later, you'll get the, the tables of the, the finger of God writing and you get to put them in the ark. But those don't happen unless the burning bush event happens. I, I pray for your burning bush experience. I don't know what it'll look like, or maybe it's already happened. Hopefully it has for many of you. But lean in. Lean in. It brings us to our last victory principle. Victories build on previous victories. Your relationship with the Lord builds on itself. Build on your previous victories. I'm sorry I'm over. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you've done in Mount Horeb. Thank you for growing us, stretching us, teaching us. Lord, help us to build on those experiences. Help us to understand that we can see a victory that we can't even see today. And Lord, I thank you for the victory that I get to celebrate every year at camp. It's quite a reminder that you're in the victory business. You want to do that many, way better than the stupid little boy state thing. You want to do something so much better in each of our lives. Lord, I pray that we're open to it, that we hear you, that we turn, that we hear, that we consecrate, that we, that we focus literally on what you're doing in our lives. Please be with us, we, uh, be with us as we go in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, yes. Okay, go. Was it the same one or is it a different one? No, it was a different one. Oh, did you